right. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Please, please sit down. Please. Oh, we got a great show tonight, folks. Uh, musical guest, Jack. Hey! Musical guest starring, Gavin. Hey! <laughs> and today we are talking about 2004 Best Picture Crash. That's when we have like, the big crash symbol, like. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, can we get that in? Can we get yeah, that can in get post? That in? Can we get that in, Jamie? I don't even want this shit released unless we get that in post. Completely <laughs> yeah. essential to the vibe of this episode. We're doing right. cra Crash by Paul crash. Haggis. Paul Haggis. Not the sex one by uh, Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Yeah, the, the J.G. Ballard uh, adaptation. Yeah, no, I thought that was the one that we were like talking about originally until you guys explained to me the premise of this movie. It won the Oscar in 2004 for Best Picture, I believe, as well as Best Original Screenplay. Yes. <laughs> it's it's hard to know which one is more depraved. I think I think this one. I don't know. I think if someone can read the screenplay of it and be like, damn, this is... This is fun. This is so stupid. I think... Um, oh, what if, what if Cronenberg did the Paul Haggis screenplay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> awesome. That would be pretty sick. <laughs> All right, so um, who wants to talk about what this... So there's some people who might not know what this movie is since it's 16 years old. And uh, it barely has, like... It does not have any kind of following. Yeah, I... It, it's uh, It's been uh, lost to time pretty fairly, I think. Easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, yeah. It, it is incredible how... Yeah, like, I was at my buddy's house the other night, for example, and I'm like... I'm in the living room. We're just getting down to like play some Smash or whatever. And I'm like going through his movies, and he's got like a DVD copy of The King's Speech. And I'm like, I'm like, why the fuck do you have a DVD copy? He's like, yeah, I stole it from Walmart. I was like, you stole The King's Speech from Walmart. <laughs> similar vibe to <laughs> similar vibe for Crash. It's like if I saw anybody with this movie, they had purchased it, stolen it, anything, I'd be like. Like I didn't even like I forgot this movie existed. I don't know why you own it because yeah, it's, it's so forgettable. It lives on in people in like people's parents' like DVD shelves under the TV. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, that's very much the vibe of this movie. It's it's very it's very DVD era. Oh yeah. Oh, it's very going, DVD going to era. Blockbuster to Red Crash. Yeah. Yeah. Like, everybody's parent, I think, or like anybody who grew up like around that time watching movies probably has like a vague recollection of it, you know, because yeah. everyone always watches the best picture winner and, and people seem to have really fond memories of it. I, I don't know why that is. I don't, I remember watching it in like, I think it was grade four and I was like, okay, I was like, I guess, whoa. I just remember like, so I, I remember the part of the movie that stuck out to me the most was uh, Matt Dillon's father who had trouble peeing. And I was like, damn, that looks like it sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what stood out the most to me watching it in, uh, in grade four. That that's probably the most impactful scene in the entire movie. Like that was the only movie scene where I was like, I need to change my life. Like I need to, <laughs> I, I need, need to make to sure I live cop. healthier, live healthier, so I don't have like a real bad UTI when I'm older. You don't understand. I want to be a cop because my dad has trouble peeing. <laughs> we we need we need to get to the sorts of things eventually that he does because his dad has trouble peeing. <laughs> It's like this is yeah. like I, I like in some sense like I understand why some people were like like 
I, like a little bit, I understand why some people are like, oh, like I thought it was like important because it like tackled racism at the time when it came out and whatever. But then right. you actually like start to pull apart the plot points of this movie and the premise and the characters and everything about it. And like, it's, it's just like a montage of absolutely ridiculous shit. When you apply any sort of reasoning to it, you're like, oh yeah, this cop is like brutalizing people in the street because his dad can't pee properly. Like <laughs> that, that seemed like a reasonable thing to put in the script, right? Well, like, it, it just felt like, like I'm racist, something a lot of people are insecure about. It's something that like a lot of people can get like, you know, pretty uh, uh, uncomfortable about. And I think that watching this movie at the time, j just a movie, that, it was just, it was a movie that was saying things about race and everyone in 2004 was an idiot. Like everyone was just objectively stupider then. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, everyone was like, oh wow, well this movie is saying things about race. So this is like, this is important. This is meaningful. Yeah. I mean, like they didn't even have iPhones yet. So like how so we should they probably, know? Uh, if we should probably like talk about how many. So there's what, like five, six storylines? Yeah. There's about five or six storylines. Is there? Um, I mean, they, I, you know, I think calling them storylines would be generous, honestly. They're, but they're vignettes. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're very much just broken up vignettes. Like the the like is Sandra Bullock's storyline even really a storyline? It's Barrel like yeah, one she scene does. of her yelling at a Mexican man, and the next time we see her, she falls down the stairs. <laughs> she then, uh, she improvised both those parts. <laughs> 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 she was yelling at a grip. <laughs> <laughs> damn. Like oh damn, this this is gonna be great. Yeah, like a lot of the a lot of the the supposed storylines are yeah. You'll you'll see the setup in one scene, and then like. Ha and then like you'll forget about it, and then halfway through the movie, you see like the payoff for that one setup, and and, there's, and because there's, there's no growth, it's all just immediate. Like yeah, Sandra Bullock has a racist tirade. You don't see her for the rest of the movie. She appears again. She's being racist on the phone. She falls on the stairs, and she learns a lesson for being racist. I guess that was all just uh, behind the scenes from The Blind Side. <laughs> I mean, I think The Blind Side is a perfect like like if we could have some kind of like triple feature, it would be Green Book, Crash, and The Blind Side. I think just like. Go ahead, I, I really do think that, yeah, Green, that's a pretty good point. Green, Green Book is, is like the culmination of like this arc of movies that like Blindside would be the middle one. I would say the first one would be like, um, Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, like, yeah. Driving, yeah. Driving Miss oh, Daisy. Yeah. Pro. Through, yeah. The pro yeah. crack. Like, this, like, like these movies where, and actually maybe even Blindside doesn't necessarily fit into that mo mode, but like it's definitely sort of a cousin of it. But like those three movies talk a lot about this idea of like, yeah, well, racism is actually kind of charming. Racism is, you, at first you're like, this person's racist, but then you're like, you know what, racism's, racism's okay. I guess we're all just a little racist sometimes. Listen, man, we just, all, we just want to crash into each other. To we just want to crash into to feel something, like a Linkin Park song. Yeah, yeah the, literally the first line of the movie uh, is, it's uh, Don Cheadle, he's sitting in a car with his girlfriend, I don't know what he does. I don't know if he's a, he works with like the police or he's a lawyer or some shit. I don't know. I couldn't even figure out what he was. What, and who, he, he who, says, Don yeah. Wasn't he a detective? Uh, he's like vaguely a detective. He doesn't do a whole lot of detective work. His detective work is he like walks up to a guy in the first scene. He's like, all right, what do we got here? And they're like, yo, we got a dead kid. And he goes, okay. And then that's the end of the scene. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, he, he, like, uh, his only detective work is he goes up, he's like, what we got here? Dead kid. He looks at the dead kid, he's like, and like, at the end of the movie, like, that's my brother. Like, amazing detective work. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I think this being said, okay, so I think we should, uh, we should really, I'm going to try and find a long summary of it, because it's like, 
This has like this has Sandra Bullock, Don Cheadle, uh, Tony Danza. <laughs> oh yeah, Tony Danza's in. This. Tony Danza's <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, he's Fred. Uh, Matt Dillon, Ludacris, Ludacris. Who, wait, uh, who is who's Fred? When, when is Tony Danza in this movie? I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe hold on. Let me. Uh, da, 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 da. I think if you had to like, if you had to sort of summarize, I think I don't want to get the, bogged down on who Tony Danza is, but. I no, no, we're, we're going to figure out who Tony Danza was. <laughs> okay, oh, figure Tony, it out, and I'll, Tony, I'll introduce... Oh, fuck. Uh, um, okay, so the, the movie opens up, and it's sort of like, it has like a like a monologue scene with Don Cheadle, and he basically, he does this whole spiel about how people in living in LA, you know, it's like, it's not like other cities, like other cities, you know, you have that, that sensation of touch. You bump yeah, into yeah, people yeah. on the not streets. Not in LA, though. And not in LA, though. In LA, we just ride in hunks of metal on the street. And I, I think we crash into each other just to feel something. You know, that Which, could be like, that could, someone could say that in like Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was talking before about how like, it's, it's a very obvious metaphor in the movie to have this like, like all the storylines involve cars and cars are like this metaphor for like a, a yeah big like metal sort of Bubbles, shield yeah. between you and other people, particularly people of other races and, and like, it's like, yeah, and like those are, and sometimes our, 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 our two like bubbles collide and, and, and when they collide, we're like forced into each other's worlds yeah. and their subjectivities. And, and sometimes like someone enters your car and it's always like a, a bit of like an overstep into your boundary and your mm -hmm. world. And like, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah sometimes like, he's a black guy. So you have to just immediately whip out a gun and, and shoot, shoot him, him in yeah. the fucking there's head. These, yeah, there's these <laughs> black guys. Forget this. Ludicrous. Um, you're a black guy, and you're trying to get in people's bubbles. You're trying to steal their bubbles, and you know that's okay. That's you. You're just a black guy. You're just doing that. And that's what Paul Haggis. That's like that's like the direction Paul Haggis is giving Ludacris in this movie. The first, the first line of dialogue that Ludacris has is he's like ranting about how like, damn, I I sure do hate how like white people profile me, and then he immediately steals a car. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, like, is that a Lincoln? Is that a Lincoln Navigator? I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's literally like they're talking about it, and then his buddy's like, you know, because he's going on, he's like, yeah, people profile us, like, you know, Sandra Bullock walks past on the street, and then like clutches her husband's arm because yeah, they're yeah. like black, and so you know, so at first you're like, oh, yeah, okay, once again, like, that was uh, that was all that was all improv by Sandra. Yeah. She thought she didn't know she died. They were recording. She was walking <laughs> to the dressing room, and she's like, what the fuck? This is ludicrous. Like, hi, Sandra, I'm ludicrous. She's like, oh my god, I'm black. <laughs> Here, here yeah. I found a good plot summary. So, over a 36-hour period in Los Angeles, a handful of disparate people of disparate people's lives intertwine as they deal with the tense race relations that belie life in the city. Among the players are the Caucasian district attorney who uses race as a political card, his Caucasian wife, who, having recently been carjacked by two black men, believes that her stereotypical view of non-whites is justified and cannot be considered racism. The two black carjackers who use their race both to their advantage and as an excuse partnered Caucasian constables, one who is a racist and uses authority to harass non-whites, the other who hates his partner because of those racist views, but who may have the same underlying values in his subconscious. This is so long. A black Holy film fuck. director. Yeah, why, why, why are you reading A this? black film director and his black wife who believe the, who believes her husband doesn't support their black background enough, they, especially in light of an incident with the racist white cop partner, police detectives, and sometimes. Wait, is that is that what happens? In that, that's not what happens in that storyline. One Hispanic female and the other black male, the latter who's dealing with a drugged out mother who feels that feels he isn't concerned enough about taking care of family, an East Asian man who is run over but who is hiding some <laughs> valuable cargo in the God. back of his van, a Persian oh. store owner. 
who uh, who feels he isn't getting satisfaction from American society when his story is robbed time and time again. Hispanic locksmith who just wants to keep his family, especially his young daughter, safe in a seemingly unsafe world. God, yeah, say that ten times fast. Why, why did you read all of that? <laughs> but just yeah, so, because I'm sure there are people who don't know what we're talking about. But I just that's that, true. That gives a little. So I think it's important to think. Like I, I just realized that LA setting is probably what really sold it for like the. Uh, the fucking Oscar, uh, oh, the Academy. Sure. Cause they're like, fuck mm. yeah, life in LA, that is tough. You know, cause like, was it in the nineties? <laughs> it was the Rodney, was nineties, was Rodney King riots? It was Rodney yeah. King's riots in the nineties, yeah. In the nineties, um, was it the nine eleven just happened like, was it three years before? On the other side of the coast, yeah. Race, like, yeah, but I mean, race is just like, oh, it's, I everyone, was, it's making, what everyone is thinking of. Making a movie, a race movie about cars after the Rodney King incident. <laughs> Is an extremely fucking tone deaf thing to do. Oh, absolutely. Particularly, w- particularly when your thesis is like, yeah, I guess we just kind of do these things. Like Rodney King was fucking brutally beat. What the fuck yeah, is yeah, there's it? No, there's no, there's no, I, I think Paul, Paul Haggis saw the like watched the Rodney King tapes and was like, you know what? That cop probably has a dad who's a janitor who can't pee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and for yeah. The, and for and thus he has um. Uh, I guess he's excused. I don't know, but isn't imagine that? <laughs> yeah, like, imagine, really think about this. Yeah, think about this. It's it's difficult to figure out what the actual message of the movie is when you start to go through all the plot lines because a lot of them, like that example you give of Ludacris stealing a car, they often become like um, they're they're too unclear of what they're trying to communicate, and they end up appearing really self contradictory and really just they end up. Um, using so many stereotypes and like racist caricatures to try to like make some sort of point, but they don't do it properly. So the movie just comes across as racist and self-contradictory. It's just racist. Yeah, it's like it's, racist. it's really difficult to understand. You know, you go through all the plot lines and you're like, like literally, I guess, I guess spoilers. Okay, Sandra Bullock's plot line is that Ludacris steals her car. And then she yells at Michael Pena for being a Mexican. <laughs> who's like, Mike, so like Michael, Michael Pena's fixing her lock and she's like screaming about him being like, look at this fucking Mexican gangbanger who's going to steal our keys and sell it to his homies. Like literally says that. <laughs> and you're like, that's so surreal. Like no one would actually go there. Michael Pena's like, Sandra, Sandra, it's me. I'm an actor. I'm with, I work with you. I'm also with you. <laughs> I work on set design. What are you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and then after that, there's like you basically don't return to her plotline for another thirty minutes, forty minutes, and then the next time you see her, she yells at her Mexican maid for not washing the dishes properly, or sorry, not taking the dishes out of the dishwasher. And then another twenty minutes later, there's a scene where she's on the phone. She says, "I thought that." I I guess she, she says something like, "I thought that the being carjacked justified my anger, but I, I'm just angry all the time, or something." And then she just trips and falls down the stairs. <laughs> like that—that's that's how her plotline is resolved. She falls down the stairs. God, I feel like this movie would be a good comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very—it's very close to being like a Wayan Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so close to be. Oh my, honestly, imagine just how much when Ludacris steals the car, it's like almost like hilarious to switch. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, there's that scene where, or that part in the scene where he's like, he he does that whole spiel about like discrimination and racism and whatever, and then his buddy just goes, 
yeah, but we do have guns on us, don't we? And it goes, yeah, we do. And yeah, they whip we, we, out we, guns. And rob these people at gunpoint. And they, they, nev- and they never go into, like, they have to rob cars in order to, like, get by. It's always just like, no, they just chose just to steal yeah, cars. Yeah. Just- yeah, it's true. It's never, like, some kind of, like, thing where you get to see the, the their economic situation. They're just like, no, we just like doing this for fun. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it's, the movie's just like, no, black people just steal cars. That's, that's just what they do. And uh, there's, like, also, like, we talked before about how I mean, before we were recording, we were talking about how, like, it, it seems that Paul Haggis just has all these racist rants. Like, these just sincere oh, yeah, yeah. This racist is rants. Like, things, like, that thing with the dish, the, with the, uh, his, his, uh, the, 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 the maid, and yeah. not washing the dishes, that definitely happened to Paul Haggis. Like, yeah, he, he definitely did that, and was like, huh, wow, I guess I'm kind of racist. Oh, what yeah. if I, I should put this in my movie. <laughs> should, like, but, well, he, he had, like, there's all these way too sincere rants about race in the movie. They include just Paul, ha- thinks Paul Haggis actually believes in rants about, and he just, like, makes black people say them. He's yeah, just like, exactly, exactly. Hip hop like, is us being cars. Their, yeah, us being cars. And, like, hip, like, a, just a complete non sequitur. Don Shield making the speech, and they get to the car. He's like, I guess I'm a detective now. But then, yeah, like, the scene where, like, a black guy's like, hip hop is, don't you know that hip hop makes the black people stupid and they sag their pants? And yeah, there's like a much. scene where like a black guy explaining racism to another black guy is like, "Listen, dog, don't you know that there's something called racism?" The, guy, the guy's like, "What? What you talking about? That's crazy!" God, <laughs> just, there's so many ridiculous never lines heard in this racism. Movie. I want to talk about Paul Haggs and other stuff he's made, but before that, I want to read like the classic line. So this is Graham Don Cheadle's character. It's the sense of touch. In any real city, you walk, you know, <laughs> you brush past people. People bump into you. In LA. Nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much that we crash into each other just so we could feel something. Yeah. Yeah. This is he, definitely a thought Paul Haggis had when he was yeah. just in the back of his car and there's like some guy was like chauffeuring him around and he's like, oh man, he's like, we're all in these little pods. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, huh? Don't you think that? Don't you think we're in little pods? And the chauffeur is like, oh yeah, boss. Yeah. Whatever you say. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it really feels like he, you're right. He just sort of splattered his thoughts. Through, like totally sincere thoughts throughout the script in like big ways with some of those big monologues, but also in little things like when Ludacris and his buddy run over a Chinese man and uh, they just keep referring to him as a Chinaman. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's okay. and you're, it's so weird. So before we get into that, I want to talk about uh, Paul Haggis as a writer. So Paul Haggis has written such classics as Casino Royale, Million Dollar Baby. He he only uh, he only co-wrote. It's Casino Royale. Okay, my bad, my bad. But he's the still one, involved in the, the process. The, the, uh, the James Bond movie that he headed the writing for was Quantum of Solace, which, which is, is terrible. Bad. Terrible, terrible yeah. movie. And that was that was his his bigger one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Flags of Our Fathers, Lero from Iwo Jima, and The Return of the Shaggy Dog on Disney. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think... I can't believe Return of the Shaggy Dog lost to this movie Crash <laughs> for Best Picture. Can you fucking believe that? So it's like, I think, let's... I think talk about something like... Um, like his movies, his scripts were that were directed by other people. I think you get the benefit of like someone else looking over it and like being able to filter the worst like offenses of the script. Like usually scripts can be too like uh, whatever melodramatic or too right. too intense, and that's where the director comes in and knows how to tone it down and make it like tasteful. And that's why I think um, Clint Eastwood, uh, a director who uh, I don't think we uh, align uh, with ideologically or politically, you know, he's racist. But, he's racist, but he makes good the movies. The movies are racist, but the movies are fun. The movies are yeah. entertaining. They're captivating. Uh, Gran Torino is a good example. I think Lars from Iwo Jima. I haven't yeah. seen it in a while, but I remember it being uh, at least like well directed. For we, we were talking word. earlier about how like Gran Torino is 
basically just a crash. If Crash was a good movie, it's still yes. racist, but it's just like, what if it was actually well made film? Yeah, yeah, entertaining. Like, yeah, yeah. like the interesting, yeah, yeah, like interesting. characters you care about. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Ridiculous scenarios, but like, oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 fun to watch. It's it's basically just like a ra- like an old racist fantasy, but like it's. I think I had the same thing. So I had the same thing watching. Um, what's it? What's what's the, who's the guy who wrote the Social Network? Um. Oh, Big f- oh fuck it. Big uh, lib. Yeah, the, the guy West Wing guy. Um, fuck. Uh, what's his fucking name? He's a fucking glasses. The fucking shithead loves Aaron uh, Sorkin. Aaron, Aaron Sorkin. Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah. So I think with, there's the same issue with um the Aaron Sorkin. Uh, what's it fucking called? Aaron Sorkin. He made a movie with Jessica. It's his most recent movie. He directed it as well. Molly's Game. Yeah, thank you. Right. Molly's I haven't seen Game. that. So I think an issue with Molly's Game is that it takes uh, Aaron Sorkin's like worst traits and like just like over the top kind of like Aaron Sorkinisms, and there's no one, there's no director to kind of filter that out to tone it down. Mm. And I think it's the same thing with Crash, where it's like of of uh, Paul Haggis's worst traits, his stupid thoughts that a good director can like just like cut out and like tone down. Well, the, the, no, one, the, no one's there to tell him no. No one's the there to tell sounds, him. The script sounds a lot like. A stage play. Yes. Like, it sounds like a bad stage play. Like everything, you could just see the characters like walking in and and making their their big pronouncements. Uh, yeah, a good director would have cut all of this shit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's so yeah, much that's exposition. What made, that's what made the Return of Shaky Dog such a timeless classic. <laughs> there's oh yeah, that's good. There is so it much like a stage play, <laughs> like a stage play. There's just so much exposition. Every character is explaining every scene as if you're I not even how like life see- really is. Yeah. yeah. Like I am in a store that I own, and I am Persian, and like this is—you were not on like a stage. I'm not like a, like in the in the back seats squinting to see what's going on. Like I can I can pick up from the visuals. What, what the, <laughs> you don't need to explain this to me. <laughs> I get it. It's L.A. <laughs> I think it's crazy. It's crazy to think about how well received this was, at least in. I mean, I guess well received. And for like, um, like winning the best picture, best best I mean, Green, Green Book, right? Like, yeah, like Green Book Cruise is still alive and well. It's surprising, but I guess it's not surprising in the end. It's like when I think when I heard Green Book one, I was like, I guess that makes sense. This is the same like Academy, still hmm. like mostly the same Academy that like gave Crash Best Picture, you know. But Green Book is as much as I disliked it. Green Book is uh, mostly competent. It's just mostly kind of bland and like uninspired, but. It's a to- I think it's a really competent film, you know? They just did nothing interesting with it. This movie is completely incompetent. Like, the thing that makes it so bad is, like, not just the politics of it or whatever, you know, or the, the, the message. It's like they can't even communicate anything. I don't you think know? you should... I, I think Green Book is still bad. I think there's still... I think the Green Book filmmaking mm. is still bad, but I do think there are redeemable aspects to Green Book. Where it's hard to come up with any redeemable aspect Cra- of like crash. Crash has this like, like the structure is also just like so poorly thought out that the 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 editing like between these vignettes is so arbitrary and random and like the emotional like like any scenes emotional ways immediately undercut by what's cut from like it like and every scene also has to like go so like the scene where his <laughs> the scene where Michael Pena's daughter um, gets shot with a blank. Um, and is protected by the magical fairy cloak. Um, is like it hap- It happens all so suddenly, and 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 there's no there's no resolution to it. Like it just happens. Like she's fine. They go inside at the end. 
Yeah, it, it yeah. all like, happens in like, like seconds, and they and, it, and they just cut to the next the next emotional conclusion. Yeah, exactly. It's fucking ridiculous. And then the other thing is that we didn't even know that there was a blank because we were discussing this before we recorded. So I, thought, I, mean, yeah. I was surprised you guys didn't realize that. But so, yeah, it's like, um, so when the Persian guy wants, because the Persian guy's story is being robbed all the time. So he wants to buy a gun and his daughter. I mean, there's also that scene where his daughter's trying to buy the, <laughs> the bullets. And the guy's like, oh, hey, cutie. And then they speak Farsi. And he's like, whoa, okay, calm, cool it, Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, her, her, dad, her dad's there. And she, he's like, fuck you, you fucking raghead, fucking piece of shit. And he leaves, and then he looks at his daughter like, you want to fuck? <laughs> yeah, literally. It's yeah, this is, this is what Paul Haggis is like, oh, this is what every Republican gun gun <laughs> yeah. store owner is like. They're also in, like, L.A., though, and it's, so it's just so weird because it's like, the guy goes <laughs> like... You live in L.A. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you live in L.A. Like, I don't... I, I mean, I'm sure absolutely there's racist people out there, but, like, this guy lives in, like basically like not downtown la i don't know what the neighborhoods he's a coastal like, elite he's yeah it's like ass. it's like a big <laughs> metropolitan city and he goes into a gun store or whatever and the guy immediately is like they talk for five seconds in farsi and the guy's like hey osama go plan a jihad on your own time we do have to remember we just remember like Post 9-11 America was like a very was a very different place. Like that, that's that true, that's true. Like I, I'm sure that like, I mean, and yet today in LA, I imagine that would be uh, a little more, yeah. I don't know if that would happen right now, but like yeah, like particularly right after 9-11, people's like racism was right on the surface. People were like like right now now they'll, they'll like choke it down at the very least. But like I think like in the during the Bush years, I think it was a lot more common to just be like. Yeah, you know what? I can just like be openly racist to like people from the Middle East, and no one's gonna care because uh, everyone agrees with me. Yeah, I could probably see that now that you mention it. Mm. Um, I think the thing that like it's just that so much of the stuff in the movie, like like you said, the way that it's all edited and rushed and cut, it makes everything and just written in general, like everything feels unearned and just everything is sort of a wild conclusion that has to exist that way because the movie's so underwritten that they need to have these extraordinary, crazy extremes throughout the movie to justify the message they're trying to communicate because there's too many characters and storylines, you know? So, yeah. like, crazy shit happens. Like, that the Persian man goes all the way to Michael Pena's house with a fucking gun and shoots his daughter... Over oh, no, 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 he's gonna shoot, he's gonna shoot, uh, Michael Pena, but then his daughter runs out and is like, mm, perfect time to give daddy a hug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, and there's like, there's just so much stuff like that throughout the movie where people just act wildly racist for almost no reason. Oh, I forgot. So, yeah, yeah, so the daughter ends up, so the Persian guy's daughter is like in a rush to buy bullets or whatever. She's like, just give me some bullets. Just give me the red box. And the guy's like, do you know what those are? And she's like, yeah, I don't care. Just give me them. And so then she, but what was implied is that she just bought blanks without knowing. That's what I understood. Really? I, I thought it was like a bit of like magical realism and like actually the, the cloak was real. No, see, I remember, well, I mean, I guess I was just this advanced, I just had the, I was just an advanced, advanced movie IQ. watcher. Yeah, in grade, in grade six. I was like, mm -hmm, yes, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's a bunch of plot points in this movie that doesn't make sense. I think if you want, there's, there's a, there, this movie kind of reminds, it reminded me about the existence of Babel. You ever watched Babel? Yes, yes, I did watch Babel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a, a little kid when I watched it. I really liked it as a, as a kid, 
I don't. Has it has it aged well? I've I've heard it has not aged well. I think it hasn't aged well, but I think that's like this example of like this multiple storyline thing done by like a competent director, like right, Yuri right. Two, who's done like Birdman, Revenant, uh, like, right? Other movies. I, I need to rewatch Babel. Anyway, this is a little reminder to myself. Rewatch Babel. Yeah, I, I feel I, like that might also just be like a better version of Crash. Yes, but I mean, was it about race? I can't remember. I think it was it, just like it was. It was about race because like the whole. I, I again, I'm, I'm running off my memory of it as as like eleven year old, but like. I remember the movie's like central themes being basically about like and, like it's it's a metaphor for like the, the like the like the the biblical story of Babel, right? Like all these people who can't understand each other because they're from different backgrounds, and it's yeah, it was it was very much a, a story about race. But I don't remember whether or not it would. Well, I don't remember whether or not like I remember the, like I'm sure the movie is still yeah, like you said, very competently done. But I don't know if like the messages about race are never are necessarily good ones. I oh, and have if they've. Uh... Uh, aged well, yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. Well, right. You know, Babel. There's a note to rewatch it. Um, I think, but I think we can all agree it's probably better watching the crash. <laughs> For sure. All also, right. oh, yeah. um, just a, a cutting here. Um, we are coming to the end of uh the minutes we've got here. Do you think we've, okay. we've got uh? Should we do a, a new a new chat? No, no. I think we can just wrap it up here probably in the yeah, five minutes. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I right. feel like there's still stuff we haven't talked about. Well, then let's talk about it. Go. Okay, uh, how about the scene where Ludacris randomly finds a van filled with Cambodian children? <laughs> yeah, because they Cause... run over that, like, Asian guy, and he's like, Dude, Ludacris, yo, there's a China, you ran over a Chinaman. You ran over a China? Yeah, and then Ludacris you... is like, yo, tell me something new. You guys remember that <laughs> something scene? Something I don't know. He, he, they, saved, they... he saves all the Cambodian children, and, like, yeah, they, they take him to that, like, the, like, the mafia guy who <laughs> has that special... And, like special ability that like every other white guy thinks he has. We're like, I can just, I can just like see an Asian guy oh, and just yeah, know yeah. where he's from. It's like mm-hmm, these aren't mm-hmm. Chinese guys; they're from Cambodia. Ludicrous, get this. I can see. There's China. China is just one country. They got other countries over there, and these guys are from Cambodia, South China. Shit. And but then like, Lucas, like, I'm not gonna sell them to you. I'm gonna release them in Chinatown, and he like <laughs> releases them into their natural habitat of Chinatown. And like the whole time, he's just disgusted by every single. Like he's like getting them out of the car and saving them. Like disgusting, subhuman, disgusting. And they're all just like, "Why are you even saving?" Yeah, them? he's just like whack, whack. <laughs> these fucking whack Asians. Yeah, it's, he's like, it's man, not, Asian people are so funny. It, it's also like not really clear at all what the point of that is. I think it's trying to suggest that, like, oh, because he used to steal cars and sell them, but then you know he could have sold the people to the guy. And decides not to. I think, but it's, like, I think it's like a very stupid way of being like, you know, Ludacris does bad things, but here's a time where he did something right, where yeah. he didn't sell like human trafficked Cambodians. <laughs> yeah, which is like probably the most extreme thing you could possibly do. It's what? like, oh, you, you stole someone's Escalade and sold it or whatever. Okay. And then you're like, oh, I found a van filled with human trafficked Cambodian children. <laughs> Like, who, well, and, like and the, the other thing is that the guy doesn't even offer him that much money for all of them. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll give you like $200 a pub. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I don't think this van full of children is worth a thousand dollars. Yeah. I was waiting for like Paul Haggis to make some racist movies. Like, all right, Ludacris, do you want these Cambodian kids for some KFC and a watermelon? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised if um, that happens. Yeah. So you like go through all the different plot lines and like all the resolutions don't they, they're unearned they're they're sort of vaguely set up but like you really have to like extrapolate what the moral of that plot line is 
Mm. Um, yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, it's like, this is written by some, like, wealthy Hollywood guy. It, um, classic, like, I don't know, he has, he, 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 he doesn't live w- amongst regular people, so he has no idea of what, like, I don't know, of what actual struggles people are going through, of how, of how, of what racism is actually like. So he only has these imagined, like, extreme scenarios in his head, and he's like, yeah, that's probably what life's like. Yeah. One of the worst... One of the worst moments in the movie, which ties in, I think, into that um, shitty uh, scene with, like, the, with trafficking children, and like the, the movie's like weird moral quandaries, is like the scene in which Matt Dillon uh, stops Terrence Howard and his wife, and then um, just like just brutally sexually assaults her next to her husband, just like fingers, just like just fingers this guy's wife um, right there against the car. And uh, and then leaves, and then we've learned like, oh well, like it's okay because his dad has a UTI. Who's just That's like really explained is like it's it's because it's like that does happen, you know, cops do that. Yeah, but then fu- to, and like, fuck them. Yeah, but it's like the way he the way the way he's framed in this is like what was like what's the point of that? You know, it's like okay, yeah, this person's an asshole, but what's the what comes after but? You know. Oh, you know, he's an asshole. Yeah, maybe he's racist. Maybe he's just like he's like uh or like a rapist. But his <laughs> dad is uh his dad is a janitor who hired two black janitors, and that's yeah. like the way the movie's trying to like I don't know. It's trying to like it's trying to pretend like Matt Dillon's character is this nuanced guy who's like acting out because of other things. Because the whole point of the movie is like you know everyone's supposed to have a normal side, but then the racist side comes out in the worst times. But, like, there's like, nothing that justifies doing that to anybody. I've like, never I've never committed a sexual hate crime. Like, we all have, like, yeah, sure, we, we all have our, 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 our deep-seated prejudices inside us all. And, and sure, like, we, we all have, like, yeah, like, this, this idea that, like, racism is baked into the fabric of our society. But that doesn't mean we've all, like, fucking, like, committed a sexual yeah, hate crime. Yeah, yeah. Just Jesus like, Christ. It's, it's so extreme. It, it's so extreme. It's like, what, like, what's the, like, is he gonna go to court and they're gonna be like, Your Honor, like, uh, in Matt Dillon's defense, he did say, don't talk to him till he's had his cup of coffee. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then, well, then on top of that, the fact that, like, Paul Haggis also, like, made her film the scene with, like, no protective undergarments, just like really had Matt Dillon like get up in there, That's like for what for what reason? It's not even that good of a scene. It's the back of his head and her butt. Like, what is what's making the scene more real? Well, there is one shot where you do see his hand basically going up, and he does like touch her vagina or whatever oh yeah but it, it didn't it, have to be a real, real vagina but yeah, like, that's what i mean it's fucking it's gross like you watch it and you assume that it's being acted out or whatever God. and they would have taken precautions and but the other fucked up thing is that that actress only came out this year and said that she asked to wear like um they have like yeah. protective underwear and stuff that you can you know use he refused her um, request yeah yeah he refused her requests and, and it made and not, her so uncomfortable. Plus, obviously, plus, it's also I, mean, she, I think she's coming forward with that because of also the fact that like Paul Haggis has like a bunch of rape accusations against him now, and like the other things like Paul Haggis like you had her like like did you also make her actually sit in a car that was about to explode? Like <laughs> fucking what is wrong yeah. with you? Like she's like oh um, yeah. that smells like gas. He's like don't worry don't worry it's just it's, yeah. it's fake it's fake it's movie props. Baby. And uh, and, and the, the, also the, the notion of having her like rapist come in and then the save her from a burning wreck of a car that explodes in a fireball is like 
it, it, it's like something that would happen in a Sam Peckinpah movie. Like it would be like the horrible, uncomfortable conclusion that leaves you just like feeling gutted and dead inside. But instead, it's like supposed to be like this heartwarming scene. So he looks yes, back at him with like fond. Him. Yeah, it, it makes no sense because it's, it's like it, what well, he's redeemed for like making he he does several points in the movie he consciously does absolutely horrible things where he's like incredibly racist to people he rapes somebody he's just an awful human being and he justifies it all with my dad has trouble peeing at night and and sometimes i don't sleep very well (laughs) because of that that's literally like that's like probably weaker than the i didn't have my coffee this morning argument sorry i'm sorry i'm racist my dad has a uti yeah literally Man, I'm looking at some of the, I'm looking at some, some of the script right now. I can't even believe this movie, like, oh my God. So it's like, so this is the scene where like Matt Dillon's character is uh, at the clinic and he's talking to, uh, he's talking to Shaniqua, <laughs> the, the black secretary. And he's like, uh, uh Matt Dillon's like, what, what, what does my father do about sleeping tonight? Shaniqua, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I want to talk to your supervisor. I am my supervisor. Matt Dillon's like, yeah, what's your name? And she's like, Shaniqua Johnson. And Matt, Ryan, Matt Dillon's like, Shaniqua, big fucking surprise that is. And she's like, oh. And then she hangs up on him. Yeah, I'm good for her. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. God, man, there was so to feel good about this guy being like, just a racist to random people on the phone. How many, like, how many times have you had it? Like, how many times have you had frustrating customer service experiences on the phone? And like, just gone into a racist tirade. Just been like, and you know what else about the Jews? Like, fucking, no amount of stress. <laughs> I feel like the really just... scene is like Matt Dillon trying to like figure out his like desktop, and he calls like customer service, and it's an Indian guy, and he's like, "What's your name?" And he's like, "Paul," and he's like, "Yeah, right, it is." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "I'm from Delaware, actually." <laughs> Man, this um, movie's ridiculous. I mean, I'm looking at more parts of the script. There's a part where Don Cheadle's like. It's like, this is what it says in the script. Graham, on the phone. Mom, I can't talk to you right now, okay? I'm having sex with a white woman. <laughs> I, was about to, oh, yeah. I was about to reference that exact same scene. I was going to reference that exact same scene. Oh, and yeah, then and she's then he- like, you called me white? And he's like, well, I wouldn't say Mexican. And she's like, I'm not Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican and El Salvadoran. <laughs> oh, like- yeah. And then he goes, and then he goes, wow, that's crazy. So, like, who's the one that taught all these diverse cultures to park their vans on their front lawn or something? <laughs> And you're, you're like, like what? what? This is all coming out of like this is Why all coming you... out of uh, Paul Haggis's head. Like, yeah, he, like, yeah. You, ju- you, ju- you just thought of all this. Also, like, if je- like if I was, yeah, if you're with someone and you're like, oh, I don't want to say Mexican. Like, I'm not Mexican. I'm from these places. I'd be like, oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, that's my bad. I, I should, yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. I should, should yeah, assume I would be like, that. Oh, you're Latino. Instead, be, instead of being like, oh, well, I just, I, I'm actually a racist. Yeah. All right. All right. You oh. know what happened? Paul Haggis had a bunch of racist jokes with his friends, and he's like, "Damn, I wish you could make a movie where I can write these in." But he's like, "Wait a minute, maybe I can." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he does that, or like literally, you have to just imagine he was driving down the street one day in L.A. and like drove through a Latino neighborhood and saw a bunch of cars, I guess, parked on someone's lawn, and was like, "Oh, I guess I'm gonna write that into my screenplay." So like, you know, Mexicans, yeah, they they park their van on their lawn. I think, like, like, I think I'm it is a racist. Stereotype. This is a black guy saying that to an El Salvadoran <laughs> lady. Yeah, yeah, it's like, where do you even get that from? Like, I, unless that's a stereotype in the U.S. that I'm not aware I think, of. I think that is actually a stereotype. Is it? Um, yeah, I think I think there, there, that is that is a stereotype. Listen, Cheapy Tuesdays has no. Uh, we we, the, we these don't are jacks. 
These are I tax know. statements. Not <laughs> these are not representative. Cheap, well, cheap listen, statements. man. Listen, stereotypes exist for a reason. <laughs> that, that, that's that's actually the thesis of Crash. The thesis of Crash is like, well, these things happen. Like, there, there's there's multiple scenes where people say like, God, it's just a shame that black people commit so much crime. I mean, crimes. It's you know, it's kind of their fault. Oh like, yeah, there's that one scene specifically yeah. where the guy he he cites off like very very fast. Like you can tell so obviously it's scripted in where he's like. You know, we got a really difficult case, but I mean, let's be honest, you know, I know that. And then he like lists off all he's like, I know that like 17% of all black families that live in this neighborhood in Los Angeles, or whatever. <laughs> and he like very quickly does all these sociological statistics. 80% like, of, of black of, of crime is black, is black on black. And <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, but after he says all that, he's like, but I know that all those sociological stats are true, like the literal line, but Black people just can't keep their hands out of the cookie jar. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the actual what he line. Says. That's the what he actual says. actually says that. Line. And you're like, what is the message here? Like, what the fuck are you trying to say? There's, there's another scene that sort of parallels that where um, Ludacris and What's-His-Face were leaving the restaurant. And Ludacris is like, you know why she didn't serve us? Because she looked at us and she believed black people don't tip. And he's like, well, how much you pay her? Like, well, I didn't tip because I was shitty service. And he starts laughing because it's, oh, it's ironic. Ha <laughs> ha. See, we just, it's just, it's, it's a self it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. See, like, the racism exists because black people act that way because of the expectation. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Like, it's, it's everyone's fault rather than just like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it absolutely is not. Yeah. It's also just so, like, it's so contradictory like that all the time. I think the one that really stood out to me, uh, is super, like, our little random tidbit, but there's a part where the, the, Matt Dillon's buddy, who's also a cop, wants to get switched out of, uh, to like a different unit or whatever. He doesn't want to be Matt Dillon's police partner anymore. Um, and so he goes to the chief or whoever it is, like the head of the department, talks to him, and it's a black guy. And the guy says, basically just says, Oh, yeah, you're telling me that like Matt Dillon's been like a racist cop in this organization for 17 years and we didn't know, like, you know, like racism like that doesn't exist in this sort of organization, like especially not under me. And then literally 30 seconds later in the conversation, he says, do you know how difficult it was to get to the top of the LAPD as a black man? And you're like, what's the message? Is the message that there's actual structural racism and bias and shit in the world? Or is it that like racism is all in people's heads? Like I, it's so consistently contradictory, you know? I think Paul Haggis must have must have been to uh, Little St. James. Because <laughs> yeah, he's probably. just like a, he's like a nobody. He's like worth sixty million dollars. Like who is he? How did he get this job? His show business career began as a writer. He's like he was born in London, Ontario. Studied cinematography. Oh no, in, he's a fucking Canadian. God he's Canadian. Yeah, damn. yeah. Are you born fucking in kidding me? 1952 in London, Ontario. I remember. This, I remember because it's like this. This. I remember it was such a huge upset because this. This beat like a bunch of other like big American films. Like, hold on, where's it? Oh man, this movie won best editing as well. <laughs> wow, best film it's editing. so bad. The okay. editing is so bad. On a technical level, we should just very briefly like. If, I, I just want to say the the music is incessant and horrible and tone deaf and confused the whole movie, and it never ends. There's a there's constant like ethereal emotional music <laughs> hanging in the background. Even in scenes that are very like supposed to be emotionally charged, um, the editing is horrible. And 
Uh, they even fucked up like their mics. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I was watching it with my headphones on and they're like good studio quality ones. And I noticed that every time Michael Pena talked, you could hear the static from his mic and then it would cut out as soon as he finished talking. He finished talking, incredible. It, it was horrible. The scene where he's talking to his daughter under the bed, it was like so distracting. I was like, how the fuck did this get passed? Like nobody noticed this? <laughs> he... Paul Haggis produced this as well. I, I that that scene that scene with his daughter under the bed is the one endearing scene in the entire movie. That was like, yes. Michael, Michael Pena and his daughter are the only people I care about in the entire movie, and it's only because of that one scene. They're also the only people that do anything normal and rational and human, which is why it's such a nice scene because you're like, oh, like he does have like a human <laughs> investment at some uh, somewhere in this plot, right? He, like, he, nev he, he never has a racist tirade. Yeah, no, he's just like a normal To prove nice that person. everyone's racist. Yeah, yeah, and everybody else, like, the entire reason for their existence is to just basically, you know, they fucking bump into someone on the street and, like, pull a gun out on them and call them racial slurs and, like, you know, do some crazy shit. Um, it just makes no sense. I'm just looking, I'm, like, so convinced that I'm like, how does he go from just doing nothing to getting so many, like, Oscars for this one movie? He must have some kind of connections. I'm looking into the other executive producer of, like, Crash. She did Five Feet Apart, that dumbass movie about these, uh, those two, uh, those two white people with cystic fibrosis, and they have to stay five feet apart. There's the one with Cole Sprouse, The Space Between Us. She's just, like, a nothing, like, a nothing producer. She made The Illusionist Crash. Employee of the month. God. Employee uh, of the month. I remember that. It's got yeah, fucking yeah. uh Matt Dillon uh, as well. Christina Applegate. Yeah. That's a Christina classic. Applegate. Let's give it up for Christina Applegate. Thank you. Musical guest. Christina Applegate. This one a BAFTA. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'm I'm convinced. I'm convinced it was either the uh, This was just a perfect formula for the Academy, or it was some kind of inside job <laughs> to get him a bunch of money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think the biggest question here, if you guys want to debate this really quickly, what do you think is worse, Crash or Hamilton? Crash, 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 Crash. I think I think yeah, Hamilton, like crash. Hamilton, is is more annoying to me right now because of its cultural ubiquity, and like whereas Crash is like faded into like the miasma of the two thousands. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I would this, probably agree. Like, I I think that. On, on basically, like, a technical level, like, I, I think, as much as I hate Hamilton, I, I really can't say that Hamilton is worse in, like, terms of the storytelling and stuff like that. Like, I think the storytelling's inaccurate and stuff, and, and bad, and I wish people didn't like it, and I don't like the music, but, but this movie is incomprehensible. Like, like, it's so bad on every level. Yeah, I think I think Hamilton is not as bad as Crash, but I think Crash is a little easier to watch just because it's so ridiculous. It's also shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like because Hamilton, Hamilton, I don't know. Maybe Hamilton is like mind numbing to me. Where this is just like kind of hilarious sometimes, at like how bad it is. I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough uh, comparison. Both, both not good. Both uh 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 bad for society. Um. I yeah. would censor these movies. <laughs> I think that there's certainly trashier and like more obnoxious movies than this. You know, like all those like 
don't know, there's so many bad movies like Paris Hilton movies that came out in the early 2000s or like fucking Identity Thief or some shit, you know, but Crash just brutally fails so hard to achieve anything it sets out to do. Yeah, it thinks it's a lot more like, I don't think those Paris Hilton movies are like really trying to be like Oscar winners. They're just like, whatever, let's just make something, something quick, yeah. a quick that, buck, that- you know? Where like Crash is so much like um, I don't know, it's so much more distant. Or I guess it is. It, it's just Crash is just so off the mark. You know, yeah, it's it, just it, like it's, it's just it's completely a, untethered from reality. Where it th- when it thinks it is portraying reality. Absolutely, yeah. For that reason, it's like you can just shrug off a shitty, cheap movie made for for profit, basically. Um, but this is trying to be a piece of art, which makes it kind of worse. Um, it's it's the film version of like any conversation I've ever had with about race with like a like forty plus like white uncle of mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who yeah. just you know who's just never really read up on it, but they know what's up. Yeah, they they have common sense. Yeah, they have come common on, sense. Man. Come on, who needs to read up on history when you have common sense? You know, yeah. that's that's just all there is to say about it. You know, at the end of the day, we're all racist. We're all just we're all African. Yeah, we're all African. It's like literally Paul Huggins just like, yeah, like we're all thinking this, right? Like just assumes <laughs> And then else like is- most people are like, no, but then the Academy is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Academy yeah. is like, yeah, we we do think like that. that tr- come on, man. This guy really captured life in LA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only good thing I could say about this film is probably that it's not as coherent as Hamilton, which is a huge plus because like, yeah, Ham- people come out of Hamilton thinking they've seen something that's, like, great and they've learned about, like, you know, uh, what's right and, like, what's is, politically is great Is coherent the right in. word? Because I think Hamilton's pretty incoherent sometimes. Is it's that like, to me? It's, like, slightly... I would say it's more coherent than this. This is, like, incomprehensible, right? Like, I guess what I would say is, like, people can... Hamilton's coherent enough that you can go into it and come out of it having... think. Thinking oh, you that know, you've learned yeah, some you, political message. Yeah, you know what the point of Hamilton mm. is. Yeah, they make yeah. it very obvious. But it's like, with this one, it's like, it's race stereotypes exist. Some people are racist, some people aren't. And uh, that's, oh, to, to be racist is to be human. I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. think anyone could walk away from this having gained any sort of real political knowledge. So f- for that reason, I have to just be like, okay, like, at least it's not sinister. It's just really incompetent. And so it's not going to hurt society too much mm, you know who this movie's mm. for this movie's for that guy in get out who's like I'd, I'd vote for obama three times if i could <laughs> oh yeah i bet he fucking loved he crash. loved crash <laughs> all right man you guys want to you guys want to review it should we uh do we even bother if yeah i mean if you if you need a number at the end of this if you've heard our conversation you don't need i mean come on yeah come on. Nah, nah it's trash it's bad throw it in the bin I would give it a uh, one out of ten, and I don't say that lightly. Um, I, I would say I don't passionately hate Crash. Like I don't dislike it as much as I hate Hamilton, like you said, Jack. Because it's like mm. you know, Hamilton is so pervasive. I, I feel very strongly about it. But this movie is just such an utter failure. I don't want to think about it. It's so nothing. It sucks. One out of ten. It, there's some parts that are so bad, it's good. But mostly, I found it boring. I don't know, man. Being like, sorry, mom, I'm having sex with a white woman. Click. <laughs> that, that was kind of funny, actually. <laughs> There's some funny lines. It's Sometimes it's a funny movie. I, don't know, I think I'd give it something like a 2 on 10. 
Um, I think it's kind of because I feel like it's a great like movie when you want to know how what like what like Hollywood liberals are like thinking and how they think and what they think is good. Like I think the fact I think it's um it's it's noteworthy in that the Academy gave this best picture. The Academy gave Green Book best picture. It's noteworthy in that it helps understand um the mindset of the of this kind of like um uh, Hollywood like of what the Academy understands as politics, what the Academy thinks of racism, what the Academy thinks of like sexism and like um I guess like uh oppression, you know? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I think absolutely. it's noteworthy it no it's noteworthy in that like it gives you a glimpse at like what these Hollywood producers think is like is like subversive about race. It's like uh, I, I don't know. That's that's what I want to say. I think it's a bad movie still. But I think it's just I don't know, it helps me understand them a little better. Yeah, it's like watching when you watch Hamilton, it's a very clear projection of like the Obama world mindset yeah. of like you know, white collared New Yorker managerial people, like libs. Um yeah, I would agree with you. Jack, what's your review? Um it's it, it donkey doo doo. It's a poo poo pee pee. Mm. Um it actually Hell makes yeah. you it, it makes Keep you it dumber coming. for having watched it, just like Hamilton. Um oh. I, I, I think that like it doesn't mo what most people get away from it is it makes them feel like they're like there's nothing they can do about racism, there's nothing they can do about systemic injustice. It's all just there and it and it, it sort of pats it pats people who are you know sort of just want to sort of ignore it on the back. It's just like, well, mm -hmm. you thought about racism for once in your life, and now you can go on in the world and just say, Well, I'm no racist, or we're all racist at the end of the day. Come on. I don't need to try. <laughs> I don't need to try to be a better person. Yeah. I don't we don't we don't need Matt Dillon to face any kind of uh uh, 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 punishment for what he did to uh, black people, to um, that uh, to Don Cheeto's wife, you know. No, no. Because at the end of the day, he was a good guy. Yeah, at the end of the day, he was a good guy, and that's what matters, baby. Uh, thank you, Paul Haggis. Man, I don't yeah. know what Paul Haggis is. I want to, I want to see Paul Haggis make uh, make a new movie about the George Floyd protests and see what his uh, what his take is on. Jesus it. Christ! Get yeah. Paul Haggis in a room. Get um, whoever made Green Book and make them. Uh, let's let's make a movie, baby. <laughs> let's make I, want, a I want Matt Dillon to have a cameo, and he like shows up. You have like a close up shot of like a like a Ford, you know, like a Ford pickup truck mm -hmm. drives in. It's got a Punisher sticker with like a blue line through it, and yes. then Matt Dillon just steps out, and he's just like cowboy boots, hands up. You see him. You're like audience applause. <laughs> Damn. Uh what a dumb movie. All right. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, you can always become, you can always support us by becoming a Patreon, a patron on patreon.com slash cheapy Tuesdays. That's www.patreon.com slash cheapy Tuesdays, where for $3 a month, you get access to bonus episodes. So for every episode we release on SoundCloud, we release one on Patreon. Hi, Josh. I think Hi, Josh. Josh, one of our patrons. Shout out to Josh. Shout out to Madeline. Shout out to, um, I'm forgetting the, we have like two other patrons. Shout, shouting them out. Thank you for putting bread on the table. Bread on, we, we put a single loaf of bread on the table for the five of us and then we just fight for it. Yeah, this is all, this Gerardo's. is all I survive off of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my we, serb ended and like, I, I'm really relying on you guys. Like, listen, this is my new serb. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I got my Serb checks, I just pretend it's from my patrons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm living the life. I'm like, oh, thank you, Gerardo, for sending me two grand. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, take care.
Peace. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Peace.